You may be seated. Uh, for y'all that don't know, most of our musicians, I guess, decided to take the weekend uh, off together. Uh, Mark, we appreciate what you do, but the guy playing for us today is my dentist. <laughs> so if you need a dentist to sing to you while he pulls your teeth. Uh, so Adam, I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark, and of course, I always appreciate your, uh, your work. Uh, if you're visiting, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, let me tell you where we're headed as a congregation in terms of the preaching schedule. Uh, in two weeks from now, uh, we will begin the book of, of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is one of, uh, one of my favorite books. Uh, but the reason we want to look at Colossians is because we spent a year looking at the book of Mark. And I'm sure I could call all of you up here and you could tell me what the theme was. But when we, when we looked at the book of Mark, the reason we looked at the gospel is it basically was teaching us about the person and work of Christ, uh, who he is and what he did, that all of history is about him, uh, about his substitutionary work on our behalf. And, and, uh, but here's what happens in churches all the time. And it happened in the church of Colossae. People got completely off track of that truth. And so when churches remove Christ from the centerpiece, uh, what they end up doing is falling toward legalism, or they fall toward looking for spiritual experiences, or sometimes in our tradition, it's just to know a lot of things, but not really know what it means to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the gospel. And so that's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to start there. I'm very excited about doing that. So what that does is it leaves me a, a, a Sunday that's very rare, and that is, hey, I can preach on whatever I want to. And uh, so, as I thought about that, well, this is an awful big book. A lot of chapters in it. Which, which chapter would I choose to preach on? Well, it is New Year's, uh, at the end of a year, beginning of a new year. And I'm sure there's a lot of uh, New Year's uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday uh, sermons that are, are preached. I'm not sure if I've ever preached on one because I'm not sure if I've had this privilege. Uh, so what I'd like to do is I want to look at uh, one of the Psalms of Ascent. It's Psalm 126. And I kind of titled the sermon uh, Pilgrim's Progress because of the book that I've read many, 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 many times. And Pilgrim's Progress is a story of, of a man who comes to faith in Christ, who leaves the city of destruction, and it's this allegory of him being a pilgrim uh, until he comes to the celestial city uh, where Janet Swanson is. Uh, today. And, and throughout that book, you see the ups and downs of his life. And it was very important for me as a young believer. I've been a Christian two years, and all of a sudden, life starts hitting me hard. And I'm wondering, what is this all about? And I, and I picked up Pilgrim's Progress, and I said, oh, it's about God weaning his people to himself. That's what every year should be about. As we look back, we have to ask ourselves, have we really been pilgrims? Do we see ourselves as strangers and aliens? And as we look forward to this year, is your whole goal in this life to have happy new year and happiness, happiness, happiness the way the world does? So that's why we look at this text, okay? So if you would, I want you to, it's there in your bulletin, and if you're visiting uh, for the first time, we, we print all our uh, sermons in the bulletin, the text, because we believe this is God's inerrant word. God has spoken. 
And so he speaks to the psalmist. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And then our mouths were filled with laughter. And our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we're glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, there are a number of people that are here today, and it is time for all of us to really reflect upon this past year, things that encourage us, the things that we are discouraged about. And Lord, as we look to this new year, uh, Lord, we are thankful that you are a God who always goes before us. And so, Lord, I speak uh, to us as your people this morning, as believers, that we would learn what it means to submit to your will for our lives. That we would always see that you are faithful and good in all our circumstances. And Father, I pray for those who might be here today that do not know Christ. And uh, they are discouraged or they see their years as empty years. Lord, that they might see the fullness of Christ today and see a year that would be full no matter what may come. And so, Lord, bless us this morning. Speak to us for thy name's sake. Amen. I think God gives us special occasions in life uh, because he is gracious. And sometimes we get kind of in the mundane of life. And and so God gives us special times and, and special occasions, I think, So that we might uh, reflect, right? To reflect on who he is. Is there a God who's here? Is there a God that you can know? Uh, Is this God, the the triune God that we read about in the scriptures, who's acted in space and time? This is also a time to reflect and think about what he is doing in the world. I mean, we look in a world and we see a lot of pain and suffering. It's also a time for us to reflect on what God's actually doing in our life. What is he doing in my life? What is he doing in your life? And so he gives us special occasions. We see this throughout the scriptures. Let me give you some examples. We just got through with Christmas. And uh, Christmas time is a great time, the Advent season, the Advent, the coming of God in the person of Christ. The second person of the Trinity Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. The second Adam. The person of Christ. That's an amazing thing. And so Christmas, right, is a time that's kind of, wow, in our hopeless estate, God sends his son. And then we have Easter. 
And Easter really focuses on the work of Christ. I mean, okay, that's who this person is. Why did he come? Well, his being God in the flesh is not enough because the reason he came was to substitute for us. Very clear teaching in the scriptures that the problem in the world and the reason there's death is because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And so God sends his son to be the second Adam. And, and so, so, through, so when we come to Easter on Good Friday, we see Christ saying, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why has he been forsaken? Because he took the curse of his people upon himself. Because you know what? Y'all know you're guilty, don't you? Y'all know somebody has to pay. And so then, but then there's a, there's a Saturday and, the, and Christ is in the tomb and the sins are buried, uh, never to be brought up again. And then he's raised on, on Easter Sunday, right? As the great sign that all of us who are in union with Christ are liberated. Okay, so that's another occasion, right? And it's a good, great time. I mean, Easter's one, especially when it's like pretty like today. I'm glad it's not raining today for the baptism of my grandsons and our grandsons. But, uh, but, you know, beautiful Easter day, and the sun's out, and it's beautiful, and the clouds are out there. Okay, there's this thing that we know that, that all, is, all things are being made new, right? Then we have Sunday. And one of the reasons in the Presbyterian tradition, the Reformed tradition, we worship that every Sunday. But it's a day that's set apart to remember, right? Because we're, we're short, and we're, we forget things so quick. Then uh, we had the baptism of, of William and, and Charlie. Is it, can I call him Charlie? That's what you call him, right? Charles, Charlie, William, Willie. Uh, no. <laughs> but um, but, but let, me, let me tell you, when, when we do this, I, God is doing something in space and time. But not only for the babies, but you know what? For every one of you who've been baptized... Because that water represents you being marked off. It is like the, the wedding ring that Christ gives. And the question is, are we improving upon our baptism? You understand that? So God gives these special occasions throughout the scriptures. And we're going to see this in our text. But what could be more of a special occasion, I think, than the end of a year and the beginning of another year? I mean, the 365 days in a year. And then everything cranks up again. And so I want us to look uh, this morning uh, at, uh, at this text in, in this context. This past uh, year, it's very interesting that one of the curious things about being a pastor is with 500 people, whatever the year is, do you know there's always somebody rejoicing? And guess what? Today, in this room, there's always somebody weeping. And so, I experienced that just two months ago here. We, we, uh, we did uh, the wedding of, of, of Rob and, and Lindsay. And, uh, of course, I've, I'm sorry, I keep mentioning y'all, but I just recently married y'all. But it was, what a wonderful, joy, joyful occasion. You understand what a great thing it is to do weddings, and, and I get the front row view of the guy watching the door open and his bride walking in. And, uh, and so what a joyous occasion. But at the same time, on the last day of this year, on Tuesday, 
we're going to be burying our dear sister, Janet Swanson. In fact, about the time the wedding was taking place was when Janet was beginning to discover that her cancer was probably uh, incurable. So, that's, that's life, right? So as we, as we come and look at our text and we, begin, and we start thinking about uh, the new year and we think about the, the last year, the question is this, as you reflect on this last year, as a believer, as you look at this past year, are you growing in Christ? Is your heart more tender toward the gospel? Are you more forgiving this year than last year because you're beginning to experience your own brokenness and God's love and his forgiveness and your brokenness? Or are you becoming hardened? Are you less forgiving this year uh, than last year? Are you progressing, as it were, as a pilgrim who's in progress because everything is forward? Wouldn't we all agree with that? Every Sunday, every Sunday is a Sunday closer to that day. That's the end of our journey. Now let me tell you that's exactly what the psalm is about. Uh, it, let me tell you what it's teaching. It, it, it's teaching that there's going to be times of laughter. Uh, like slap your knee laughter is, is kind of the Hebrew. But there's also, it says that there's going to be times of, of tears. But the psalmist says the way that we deal with both these extremes in our lives is by understanding God's past restoration. What he has done. Uh, what he is doing in our lives uh, and what he is he's going to do. Now let me tell you basically, here's what the psalmist is doing. Uh, the psalmist, is, he, he, I'm telling you what he's doing. He is, he is a thinking Christian. And, and you've heard me say this many times, but C.S. Lewis said that Christianity is a thinking person's religion. You have to be geared, prepared and when life comes at you, you're not obliterated because you are thinking through exactly uh, God's word. You're thinking through your theology. That's what the writer does. Okay? And so, uh, before we come to communion, uh, I think there's uh, some very uh, beautiful things to see here. Now, here's the first thing. Uh, we must remember or reflect on God's past work in our lives. If you're going to make it, and I don't know where you are presently, but the way you deal with the present, whatever your circumstances are, is you have to remember what God has done. Well, where do you see that? Verses 1 and 2. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Thinking about God's past restoration and his work among the Jews. And God's blessing allows them to deal with present realities. Now, what is the occasion uh, of this psalm? I don't want to spend a lot of time with this because I want to get to the heart of it. Well, this is called a psalm of ascent. Uh, there were 15 psalms, Psalm 120 to Psalm 135. And what's very interesting, after Psalm 1, I think 135, the rest of the psalms have nothing to do with lamentations and brokenness like we see here. 
The last 15 Psalms are all of praise because I think, as many commentators say, that most of the Psalms are about lamentations and working things through. God, why is this happening to me? But as you persevere, as you constantly see God's grace and his mercy in your life, you begin to see all these things that come into our lives. Ultimately, as we persevere, we begin to end up living a life of praise and rejoicing at God no matter what our circumstances. Now, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of debate as to when these, uh, these uh, Psalms of Ascent were, were, were written. Uh, some, like John Calvin, believe that they were written uh, by the captives who were released from captivity. Jew, remember the Jews were taken back into captivity because of their sin? God delivers them. They sin against God, both the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. God takes them away. Because God is gracious, he brings them back 70 years later. And so a lot of writers think that many of the, the writers wrote this as they were in uh, Jerusalem thinking about what God's grace. And so when people would come to Jerusalem they would quote these psalms. Now, others think this, and I tend to think this, that uh, three times a year the, the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, which is where the Holy Temple was, uh, the, the, the mountains that surrounded Jerusalem, uh, three times a year. And the reason that they were to go the, these three times a year is because, do y'all realize how thick we are about remembering things? Yeah, have y'all noticed that? You forget, you forget. You say, oh, I'm going to really be sweet to my wife this week. I'm really, I'm really going to follow the Lord this week. I'm really going to, uh, whatever it is, read scriptures more. He fall off the wagon. And then, of course, God gives us worship on Sunday mornings to re-remind us. Now, listen, Christ has risen from the dead. But God is gracious and he pursues us. He's constantly pursuing his people. And so a lot of people think that what was going on is, is that is people would make their pilgrimage. They made a songbook of 15 psalms as they were going up, praising God uh, for, for who he is. And it was like, uh, it would be like us going on a retreat uh, and singing uh, psalms together and, and singing hymns together and hearing great preaching. But let me tell you what's amazing about this, about this psalm. Because it talks about tears. But it says that in the midst of this world uh, that's falling, that their mouths were filled with laughter as they began to reflect on what God has done. It, it said two things. It's like, uh, basically, uh, we, we, we dream this dream. It's like a dream. Have uh, you, you ever been in a great dream like you're, you're on vacation in Hawaii and your alarm clock goes off and you have to go to work and it's 32 degrees outside? You're like, oh, bummer. But you see, there's this sense of what God has already done for Israel, and there's a sense of what's going to be in the future, but, but there's this, 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 it's like a dream. And we all kind of know that intuitively, right? That things aren't right here. But not only that, but there's a laughter that's there. Um, the Hebrew word there for laughter is like, have you ever laughed so hard that you can't stop laughing? Um, somebody got on to Charles Spurgeon about using humor in a sermon. And uh, some, some lady came to him, a dour lady, and she said, do you think you really ought to be using humor in a sermon? And uh, Charles Spurgeon's response to that was, ma'am, you have no idea how much I restrain myself from using humor. <laughs> and Charles Spurgeon was a, a man who struggled with depression. Uh, but, but 
but because he understood what God has done and what he's doing, every now and then it just kind of catches you off guard. Now, let me ask you, has that really ever happened in your life? That sometimes in the midst of life being a struggle, you remember what he's done. And it catches you off guard to the points like, here it says they're laughing. Let me, let me give you an example uh, of that. Um, Sinclair Ferguson asked the question of this psalm, what makes you laugh? What, 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 you know, what makes you really laugh? Isn't it the joke that catches you off guard? The thing that all of a sudden is just unbelievably hilarious. It just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> he proceeded to tell the story, uh, give an example of this. He said that when he was, a, he's a Scottish theologian, okay, and when he was a, a campus minister in Cambridge, he was having a speaker to come speak at Cambridge. And the, 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 the name of the speaker, and I kid you not, uh, is or was, I guess he's still alive, Donald Duck. <laughs> exactly. And, and so uh, what he wanted to make sure is that he prepared his students that there would be a speaker who will be Donald Duck. Dr. Donald Duck, he will be speaking. And he put out posters, Dr. Donald Duck, and he said he was very careful that he wouldn't say something silly about his name. And so all these students come, but there was one student who kind of didn't get the clue. It was, he said some, this gal who had just, uh, not, not the clue, but the, the word. And so this gal comes uh, who had graduated the year before, but she didn't, she didn't get the message. And so... Uh, uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson gets up and he begins to introduce the speaker. And he says, now I'd like to introduce you, uh, Dr. Donald Duck. And, of course, the girl's sitting on the front row. And it came out of nowhere, and so she started laughing. And it was contagious, and all of a sudden everybody started laughing. But you see, that's, I, I really think that's what they're trying to say here. It's sometimes to think of the grace of God and his blessing upon us just catches you off guard. Has that ever happened to you? Let me tell you how it happens to me. I, I'll be in my study sometimes. Oh, all the time, excuse me. <laughs> and, uh, I'll, and I'll be studying, and I'll have to go to the men's room, so I'll come down, I'll come down uh, the stairs. And for y'all that don't know this, Redeemers, uh, we bought this building about three years after we started the church. When I first came in here, all these cars were jacked up. There was aluminum painting all around the wall. The walls were, the brick was aluminum painted. Everything was aluminum painted. And, uh, and we couldn't afford the place. It would have been a miracle. And, and well, so let me ask you, do y'all think that's pretty amazing? What God has done. Well, I'll sit in here and I'll forget I have to go to the men's room and I'll sit down on one of these chairs and I, I, I just, I can just come in. This is, this is unbelievable. What God has done. You see, it's in what God has done in the past that helps us uh, deal with the present. Now, notice also, before we go to the next point, guess who's amazed at the people of God? Notice what it says in verse 2. The unbelievers. It says, uh, Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy, and they said among the nations. They said among uh, the pagans. The pagans said, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. You see, they, because you see, among, among God's people, there's hope, isn't there? I mean, if you're not a Christian today, and you don't know Christ, I mean, you got the grave, 
you got to deal with a new year, no presence of God, no hope, do the best you can, perform for your family so you make them happy, perform for your husband and your wife, perform for everybody else, perform for your boss, kind of wearing it, wear, it would wear you out. But for us uh, uh, who are believers, we have this hope that no matter what the circumstances are, God is for us. And I want to tell you, that's the best way to witness to people, isn't it? You go, well, you know, I don't really know how to share my faith. Guess what? 95% of people don't know how to do that. But let me tell you what you can share. You share what the gospel is doing in your life. That there is joy. That everything you're doing, you're reading through the gospel grid, and there's life, and all of a sudden, the gospel begins to pull up your wings, and other people see it. You know, I always wonder, how you're, and we are perceived. But imagine somebody, if they, say they attend a place uh, on a regular basis, like they go to a coffee shop. And every, everybody they go, they get to know the people that own the coffee shop, and they like everybody. Everybody I meet at your church, they just, I like those people. They're like good, they're great people. They seem to be joyful and happy. Well, that, that's this, that is this thing that we have corporately as God's people. And so, so that's the first thing. We must remember God's uh, past work in our lives. But secondly, see this. Uh, we must see that God's past mercies give us hope in the present. Okay, now notice what he does in verse 4. He's thinking back, but now notice what he's, what he's doing in verse 4, in the present tense. Verse 4 says, uh, restore, and there's that word again, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. So, so he's thinking about God's blessing, but he's also saying, you know, Lord, <laughs> we're in the wilderness here. The Negev was the wilderness. It was the, it was the desert in the south, right, below Jerusalem, on the way to Egypt. Desert. You ever feel like you're in a desert? You ever go, man, Lord, I, I sure would like to have more of a desire for you. I sure would like to... You know, but, you know, I just feel so empty. I have no desires. Or you're going, man, I wish I felt empty right now. I've got so many things that are going on in my life. I need you. I need you. And what would happen, would, uh, a couple of times a year, uh, there would be these heavy rains that would come into the Negev. Unexpectedly, bam. And the waters would flood. And then for weeks later, things would begin to grow. And that's what he's saying. Well, I, 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 need, I need you to restore now what you've done in the past. Let me, let me give you a great example of this before we come to our last point. Uh, David, King David. Y'all study the life of David. What an amazing guy. You're talking about a guy that knew how to go to weep and to cry and to lament and to mourn, unlike us stodgy Christian people who don't think it's good to do that. Just read his laments. But one of them, one of my favorite psalms, it meant a great deal to me, deal to me at seminary when, when I was wondering why I was there. Psalm 13. The context of Psalm 13, let me tell you what it is. David uh, has been called to be the king of Israel. And when he's young and, and uh, he believes God and uh, he kills lions and bears, right? And so remember when he, he came to, to bring his brother some, some food or whatever it was he brought him? And uh, there's this Philistine. As he said, this un, who is this uncircumcised Philistine 
that mocks the armies of God. Remember that story? Well, here David is a type of Christ because he's called to be the king one day, and he kills Goliath. He kills God's enemies, just like Christ kills our enemies. And so things are going well for David. But then Saul, you know, begins to uh, be jealous of David. And so he begins to pursue David. And then all of a sudden, you know what, David starts going, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on here? If I'm to be the king one day, why, why is it that I'm running for my life? And so his faith begins to wane. You understand that? Does your faith ever wane? You go, I, I don't know. Hey, whoa, whoa, what, what, I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. And so David finds himself in the cave of Adullam uh, right after he uh, uh, made a fool of himself before one of the uh, Philistine kings. And he slobbered all over himself, and the, and the Philistine king said, Man, this guy's not even worth killing. So here's he's in the cave with 600 men. And then he, he prays his prayer. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Present tense, and every day have sorrow in my heart. You ever pray like that? Are you a stoic? Or a cynic? Here's David, who's anointed to be the king one day, and he's crying out in a very honest way. And then he says this, Lord, if you don't give light to my eyes, if, I, if you do not give me the eye of faith to see beyond what I see with my eyes, because what I'm seeing with my eyes is not good, then I, then I will sleep in death. I, you know what? I just soon die. You ever felt that way? But then here's what he does. After he calls out the God, just like the psalmist is here, he says this, Lord, yet will I trust in you. For you've been good to me. What a great example. Just practically in my, in my own life, uh, where, where I've seen this, uh, you know, you, you're, you come to Christ early and then you have your hard time in your early 20s and you have your hard time in your mid-20s and you have your hard, you know, all these different stations of life. Well, by this time, I'm 30-something years old. I have a wife and I have four kids. Uh, I'm uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a campus minister. And I, didn't, I never knew how I was going to make it through a month. I had remodeled a house. The house had just flooded after I remodeled it. I was at the swimming pool at the YMCA, and then I had one of these aha moments by God's grace. I was in the swimming pool. You dads know what it's like to be in a swimming pool. Your kids, and you're there, but you're not really there. And they're just kind of pulling your hair, and, and you're just so like, man, how am I going to do this? And, uh, and then... Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty discouraged. And I'm telling all these students about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his mercy and his love and his tenderness. You know, and I'm like, I can't believe it for me. And the ministry's growing. And, uh, and oh, I also remembered, I thought I was getting money back from taxes. You ever thought you are getting money back from taxes, but you actually owe more than what you thought you were getting back? That was also rolling around in there somewhere. And I'm sitting in the YMCA swimming pool. It was our only luxury, right, Mary Beth? We paid for the... The, the swimming pool. And I'm sitting there, and Jack's about two years old. He's got his little floaties on. And Robert was about five years old. And he was, both of them were cute little boys. Boy, y'all cute little boys. But, uh, but anyhow, uh, so I've just got all this stuff on my mind, and I'm just not happy, okay? You ever felt that way? And then all of a sudden, Robert jumps on my back. And, uh, you know, I'm ready to smack him, like, I don't, you know, but. 
No, not really. But, 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 so he jumps on my back, and then all of a sudden he whirls around right in front of me. And I'm telling you, he was a cute kid. Little Dutch boy haircut. So I'm looking at Robert. And then right behind Robert at 12 o'clock, I mean right behind him, was Jack and his little floaties. And he's cute, and he's healthy. And then right, 12 o'clock, right behind Jack, guess who I saw? There's my beautiful wife. Of course, she was out there sunning, and I'm taking care of the kids. <laughs> and then behind her was this beautiful field. And behind the field, at 12 o'clock, was the sun going down. All at 12 o'clock. And the Lord said, would you just like enjoy some time? I, am, I got everything at 12 o'clock in your life. You don't think so. And so what I began to learn to do, and what you need to learn to do is, when it's time to dance, you dance. You take that moment and you say, God, thank you. Thank you for this time. Because guess what? The hard times are coming. Now one last thing before we come to the Lord's table. We have to remember God's past work in our lives. We must see God's past mercies to give us hope in the present. But here's the last thing. We, we have to see that your future, what's, your, what's, what's this year going to be like for you? Kind of like last year, but maybe worse, but maybe better. I mean, seriously. A year. What is a year going to bring? Well, according to our text, notice what comes. Both joy and tears. Verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. As the writer of the Psalms contemplates God's past mercies and God's present grace, he knows that that doesn't mean that his future is going to be all rosy. You know what his future is going to be? Joy and tears. Joy and tears. I want us uh, to see the, the, the first the, the illustration. Then, then and what's very interesting, one of the writers pointed out how God, uh, the writer goes from a plural in verse 5, those, to he in verse 6. Now, I want to come to that. But notice, what, what, what illustration he gives? A farmer. A farmer who sows his seed. And, and back then, they had barely enough seed. And they're not sure if they're going to make it through the winter, but they saved that seed because that's their future. And they sow that seed. Sowing it in tears. Like, is this going to work out all right? And what do they do? They bring a harvest in the end of joy. But really, what is the, the writer, I think, trying to say as we reflect on what does it mean to be a pilgrim? Let me tell you what it means. I, I'm just going to tell you what I think the gospel is. You are in all the way. You give your whole life to him. You can't do 80%. I'm going to do this, and on the other 20%, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Let me tell you what it means to take every year, as you say, Lord Jesus, uh, I'm going to give myself to you. First John puts it this way, love not, the things of the, world, love not the world, nor the things of the world, for he who loves the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But then notice, he goes from a singular to a plural. And I don't think I would have not gotten this without the hope. But notice he says, in verse 6, verse 5 says, those who sow in tears. And then verse 6, he says, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. 
Most commentators believe that the he is Jesus knew that he was talking about him. Let me ask them, do you think Jesus sang those psalms when he would go up every year for 30-something years? Did he sing all 15 of those? Guess what, what all those psalms were about? About him, the second Adam. And so Jesus comes to Jerusalem for that, for that last time, okay? And when he turns the corner and he looks over Jerusalem, what does he do? He weeps. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings, but you would not have it so. And then ultimately, where do we see the planting of the seed? We see the planting of the seed is his death on the cross for our sins. Man of sorrows. But guess what? <laughs> he didn't stay dead, did he? But it was in his death that brings life. I want to tell you what, it's in your death that brings life to other people. If your whole life is about you and I will need to make this amount of money and I need my kids to behave and I want my family. Do you understand the idolatry of family? Versus going, you know what, Lord, they're yours. And I'm yours. But Christ dies in order that we might have life. And uh, a lot of commentators said this. It uh, didn't take long, uh, right, long after Christ's death that most or half of Jerusalem might have been converted. They said there's maybe 35, 40,000, 50,000 people. They think that uh, there might have been Fifteen to 20,000 people within six weeks that came to Christ. So let me, let me, uh, uh, let me end with, uh, with this application here. Um, you can't give what you don't receive. If you don't believe God loves you and cares about you, you don't think he's going to take care of you, if you're always living, you're a religious person, and you're always afraid to admit things are bad because you're trying to perform, and you can't admit that it's bad because then God's against you. Versus he's for you. He loves you. He's entered into your life. You know why I think Christians weep more than anybody? Because, I, it's, it's, somebody put it this way, because you have a new heart. Right? And when you have a new heart, you see, if you're not a Christian, your heart tends to pull away. It tends to harden. It tends to go, this is mine, and I'm not giving my heart. But, but when, when Christ enters into your heart... He gives you a new heart, and all of a sudden you see what he sees. You see the brokenness. And rather than pulling back, you enter into the lives of people. You love people. You care about people. And the end result, because you are willing to die for that bring life to other people, I'll tell you what, there's going to be all kinds of sheaves to bring in. You understand that? That's the gospel. That's the good news. There was a missionary uh, on his way back from Africa. This is back in the 1910s. And uh, he's with his wife. They didn't see a whole lot of fruit. They, there's a lot of fruit in Africa now, but they, he didn't see a lot of fruit. He's on his way back, 30 years, left his family. His family, most of his family died, and all his friends were gone. And, and he was on the same ship with Teddy Roosevelt, coming in from London. <laughs> so here they are. They're coming into New York. And, of course, there's all these thousands of people out there who see Teddy Roosevelt because he was coming home. And everybody was cheering, and this is great, and... And so uh, he was standing next to his dear wife, and, his, and he said, there's nobody here cheering for us. There's no, all that we've done. And his dear wife said, said, said to him, well, honey, Teddy's coming home, but we're not home yet. We're not home yet. My dear brothers and sisters, 2014, I don't know what it's going to bring. John, it brought pain in your life. 
suffering. Your mama began this year. She felt fine. But then she had a fall. I can't remember exactly what happened in February, March, and found out, you know what? You're not fine. Now she's with the Lord. For some of us, had hard years. You know what? This year might be a great year for you. Things turn around. Your kids come back to the faith, whatever it may be. But the promise is this, that God is with us. Do you know God that way? You can through Jesus Christ. Would you come to him this morning? Put your faith in him? Because everything else is empty. Come on. It's all empty. Let's pray together. Our Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, we ask for your presence to change lives that we would surrender to Christ. Forgive us of our sin and our unbelief. And uh, forgive us for not entering into the pain of others because we uh, are so busy uh, protecting ourselves from you and everybody else. So Lord, help the gospel be real to us today. That Christ is risen. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Jeff's going to help us with communion. And uh, those helping with communion would come forward. We'll have communion in him and then we'll depart.